0: Happy Sabbath. It is a blessing to be here. Before I begin, I just want to say that I have some dear friends and family that are on the other side of this issue, and I want you to know that while I take a different position, my love and my respect for you still remains the same. And it's it's painful to me that that we're even having to deal with this issue in our church at this time. I grew up in a wonderful home. My parents and surrounding family instilled in me and in my brothers and my sister, my brother and sister, the idea that we could set our minds to do anything we wanted to do. They believed in us. And coming from a long line of very strong women, and you could ask any of the women in my family, we are all very strong, opinionated, and stubborn, I felt that the role of a woman was just as high and exalted as that of a man. And I never felt deprived because there were some positions that were not open to women. In fact, I usually didn't want those positions anyway. So when the issue of women's ordination came up, I wondered why women would want to put themselves into that position. A minister's job is a blessing. It's a high calling. I know because for a while my pa- uh, my husband was a was a minister and I was a minister's wife. But it is stressful. I saw that in him. It's a hard job to be a minister. And when I thought about if I would want to be a minister, you know, when this question was coming up, I thought, do I want to be a mother and a wife and And a minister? No way. That would be too much. So for me, I just said, I don't even need to study this issue out because for me, it's not, you know, it's not really an issue. Then friends and family of mine started taking sides on this issue and urging me to study it out. And I just, I didn't want to. I just wished the whole thing would go away, that I didn't have to focus on it. Occasionally, I would sit down and I would take some time to study a little bit of it out. And then I just put it down again it just didn't interest me but what caused me to pick it up again was when i saw what was happening in our church i saw that some of our unions and conferences were choosing to ordain women despite being asked by our general conference to hold off on some of these steps and when i saw that i thought what what is it that would make our conferences and and some of our unions do what appeared very rebellious to me and, and, and create disunity. What would cause that? And so I said, you know, I really do need to take the time and study this out. And when I came to the conclusion of my study, I saw a beautiful picture for the ministry of men and women that, that I hope to share with you today. So before I get into um, the main part of my, my talk, let's go ahead and have a prayer. Lord, I just pray that you would be up here with me, that you would speak through me, that it wouldn't be my words that are heard but yours. I pray that just the power of the Holy Spirit would be felt in this place. Hearts would be convicted to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Sally Shaywitz, in her book, Overcoming Dyslexia, Talks about three regions of the brain that are very critical to reading. One is called Broca's region, and it's located near the front of the brain. And then there are two other regions called the parietal temporal area and the occipitotemporal area, or region. Now, what's interesting about dyslexia is that people that are dyslexic only, generally, only have Broca's region in their brain functioning during active reading, and so one study said you know we're going to take a group of people and that are dyslexics that only have this one region of their brain working and we're going to put them through a period of tutoring and at the end of the time we want to see what kind of an effect it has had on their brain and so they put them through several months of tutoring and at the end of that time these people were reading wonderfully, fluently. They'd been struggling before, but now they were reading wonderfully. And they said, I wonder what kind of changes we're going to see in the brain when we look at it. And so they looked at their brain, and they found that instead of just that one region working, all three of the regions were working at the end of that tutoring session. And what their, their conclusion was was that In order for a person to be a fluent reader, they needed all three of the regions to be involved. Now, do you think any of those individuals who were struggling to read before would wish to go back and say, you know, my BRCA's region of the brain is pretty amazing and it can do its own job and the job of those other regions. We are discriminating against this region by stating the other regions do a better job at their job. Now that's silly, right? We would quickly reply that BRCA has demonstrated that it can cover for the other areas plus its own, but the result will not be what God designed it to be, as when all the regions work together. God, my friends, has also designed specific roles for men and women Genesis 1, 27 says, male and female created he them. It doesn't say male and male or female and female. God created men and women of equal importance, just like the regions of the brain. And he designed us to work together, just like the regions of the brain, toward a common goal. To accomplish this purpose, he gave us different roles, if one of us tries to do our job plus the job of the other one we're going to leave a job undone he created us male and female a team that is equal but with different and important functions today the idea that men and women are actually different comes as a surprise to some did you know that I just read a story of a woman um, she's a psychologist Susan Pinker, and I'll quote some of her, uh, her thoughts later on. And she said, it came as a surprise to me that my husband and I were not just alike, after they had, they, that they didn't react the same to the birth of their first child. She said, I thought everything he could do and was like, I was like as well as a result of the whole feminist movement. And if you haven't heard Laurel Domstik's talk on the connection between feminism and this whole issue, I hope you can, can go back and listen to that. But ultimately, my church family, we have an enemy, the devil, who would like to obliterate the image of God within us. The blurring of distinction between the sexes is one of his methods. When Ellen White saw this happening 100 years ago in dress, and it was happening with something called the American costume, they were trying to blur the distinction of the sexes at that time. And she warned us about this. She said, God designed that there should be a plain distinction between the dress of men and women and has considered the matter of sufficient importance to give explicit directions in regard to it. And and listen to this part. For the same dress worn by both sexes would cause confusion and great increase of crime. Are we not seeing that great confusion now between or as it regards to the roles of men and women? Yet some in our culture would like us to believe that males and females are different, not because God created them different, but because they are socialized to be that way. Did you know that's a new idea out now that we are only different because girls were given little dolls to play with when they were little and boys were given little cars to play with when they were little. And so, of course, girls are going to like dolls when they get older. And of course, boys are going to like cars when they get older. They say it's just because that's how parents train them to be or that's how society trained them to be. But just so that we can be clear, this idea of socialization is not the reason our Bibles give. And it is an idea questioned even today by biologists and psychologists. And I would just want to take a little bit of time be, before we get into other parts to just enumerate on some of these differences. There's a book that's just been written by a developmental biologist. His name is Louis Wolpert. And the title of his book is Why Can't Men or Women Be More Like Men? And he gives a whole list of biological differences between men and women. Number one 40 hours after birth. Girls will look around and choose to look at the faces of people more than boys will. And boys, on the other hand, instead of looking at faces, you know what they like to look at? Mechanical objects, fans, and and other gadgets. Their interest is in that. At 40 hours after birth, at four months of age, twice as many girls will cry when frightened in a strange room as will boys. At 12, 18, or 24 months of age, girls will look at dolls much more than boys, while boys will look at cars much more than girls. Do you know what Lewis says about this? He says, quote, it is hard to attribute these basic differences at such young ages to purely social influences. Another difference, the hypothalamus, which is a part of the brain, is much larger in men than it is in women. Women show their emotions more than men. Men tend to be more aggressive than women. And interestingly, even the words we choose can reveal our gender. Did you know ladies and men, if we were to take a paper and write it and send it off to someone who never knew if we were a male or a female, if they if they just took a look at our writing, they could tell, generally, what gender you are, simply because women use more words related to psychological and social topics, while men use more words that refer to the properties of objects and impersonal topics. Susan Pinker, a psychologist who I mentioned before, says in her book, The Sexual Paradox, Men, Women, and the Real Gender Gap, She says women are more likely to choose people-oriented professions and more willing to change or leave jobs when they threaten to destabilize their families or infringe on their relationships. In fact, 80% of women will make adjustments to their career to support these priorities. Men, on the other hand, tend to have one passion and pursue it doggedly. And interestingly, she, she also states that women tend to have about 10 to 12 career changes on average, whereas men only have about 2. Again, that's pointing to the fact that women will change if it affects their social or familial relationships, whereas a man is, that's what he was called to do, and he's just going to pursue that. The list could go on and on. And when applied to the majority of men and women we in fact we see these examples you know sometimes um, I, I, I find this funny ladies do we ever you know when we can't get a jar open do we ever call our daughters and say honey could you try and open this jar for me no who do we call we call our husbands or we call our sons or we call our fathers because in general men were created stronger than women but which parent do children typically go to when they scrape their knee and they want comfort and encouragement They go to mama because the mother tends to have more empathy. My dear church family, we were created different. And God did this because we have special roles to fill. We're going to spend some time on these special roles. But before I do, I just want to mention that there are roles and like you've probably heard throughout this series there are, there are roles that men and women are called to fill. And I'll just briefly go over those again. These are roles such as teacher, missionary, prophet, cook, city builder. Did you know ladies that women were also called to be city builders? You can find that in 1 Chronicles 7:24. Business owners, agricultural workers, etc. all these jobs were shared with men and women in the Bible. But there are certain roles that God has created which are specifically unique to a man and to a woman. And these are the ones that we're going to focus on. So let's start with men. If you are married men, God has called you to be a husband. And not only a husband, but He has called you to be the spiritual leader or head in your home. So what is a husband's role? Ephesians 5, 25 and 28 says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So ought men to love their wives, even as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. You know, men, you are called to die For your families, just like Christ died for us, if necessary, that's your role. It's a a beautiful, high, self-sacrificing role, that of a husband. And I know God put that desire in men to be protective. I see it in my husband. I see it in my son. You know, it's not my daughter that will say, Mommy, watch out. Be careful. It's usually my son. Mommy, watch out. Watch out for that or be careful of that. He's very protective, and I, I love to see that. I saw this tendency growing up in my father and in my brother. I remember a time when I was a little girl that when my brother, my sister, and I were coming home from school, and I think it was probably getting close to dark. And our school was on one road, and you just go one road over, and there that's where our house was. But to get from that road to this road, you had to go down this gravel path. It wasn't scary during the day, but it got scarier as it got darker. And so the three of us were headed home, and I believe it was getting dark. And as we neared the beginning of that little gravel pathway, we heard a noise in the bush. And to me, it sounded like there was someone in that bush. And I just stopped. I was very scared. And I looked at my sister, and she was scared. And I looked at my brother, and I thought he looked scared, but he never said if he was. And he looked back at us and he said, you girls, you run on home. And he couldn't have been older than 10. He says, you run on home and I'll fight them. <laughs> and so we ran. <laughs> and I have no idea what, who he fought, what happened. I just know that after that, my brother was my hero. He was strong and he would protect me. And that is what God calls men to do. The Adventist home. Page 215 says the Lord has constituted the husband to be the head of the wife, to be her protector. He is the house band of the family. This means binding the members together, even as Christ is the head of the church and the savior of the mystical body. Let every husband who claims to love God carefully study the requirements of God in his position. Christ's authority is exercised in wisdom, in all kindness and gentleness. So let the husband exercise his power and imitate the great head of the church. God calls you husbands, did you hear that? To protect, to lead with wisdom, kindness and gentleness. Let me emphasize again that Before we move to the next role that God has also called you to the spiritual leadership in the home to lead as Jesus leads the church. I just want to add here that I have appreciated so much the spiritual leadership that my husband gives in our family. Women want a husband that will come and sit home and say, all right, family, let's gather together for worship. Let's come and talk to God, or we need to take this to God in prayer. I appreciate that as a woman. Men, we want husbands that are like that. This is a call for you. It says, the Lord, in the Adventist home, page 215, the Lord has constituted the husband, the head of the wife, to be her protector. He is the houseband of the family binding the members together, even as Christ is the head of the church and the Savior of the mystical body. Now, if God has called you to be a father, he has also called you to a unique and high role. The Bible instructs fathers too, and I quote, Provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, Ephesians 6, 4. The word nurture, this is an interesting word because sometimes we, ref- we think of this word as being a feminine type of word. But the word nurture, according to Strong's, is the whole training and education of children which relates to the cultivation of mind and morals. Fathers, it is your job to make sure your children receive a complete education in the things of the Lord. And since this is your job, it again makes you the spiritual leader of the, of the home. The father, and I'm quoting from the Adventist home, page 212, represents the divine lawgiver in his family. He is a laborer together with God, carrying out the gracious designs of God and establishing in his children upright principles, enabling them to form pure and virtuous characters because he has preoccupied the soul with that which will enable his children to render obedience not only to their earthly parent, but also to their heavenly father. I hope you caught that. The father is responsible for helping cultivate a relationship with God. The father must not betray his sacred trust. He must not on any point yield up his parental authority. A father, new studies are also showing, has perhaps a greater impact on the ability of his child to form trusting relationships than a mother has as well. So listen to this. This is from a recent study um, taken from Science Daily june 12, twenty twelve. That's where it was reported, but it was a it was a scientific study where they took more than five hundred um, actually, it's the results of more than 500 studies. And this is what it says, quote, "When it comes to the impact of a father's love versus that of a mother, results from more than 500 studies suggest that while children and adults often experience more or less the same level of rejection from one parent as opposed to the other, oftentimes the father's can be much greater than the others. And then later on it says the importance of a father's love should help motivate many men to become more involved in nurturing childcare. Fathers you have a huge impact on your children and I know from personal experience what it is like to have a good father. My father was the kind of man that did help me form those trusting relationships. I can remember being a little girl And always thinking I could do whatever I wanted to because my my father and my mother, for that example, um, said that I could. And I always saw my father spending time with God every day. He would always take time. And that impressed me, my church family, to spend time with God on my own as well. And whenever I imagined God, I always thought of him as a God who loved me even when I disagreed with him because my dad did. Whenever I imagined God, I thought he must be kind because my father was. My father will always have my respect and love for living out a beautiful picture of God. Don't you men that are fathers want that for your children? What a beautiful legacy to leave to them. I quote again from the Adventist home, page 216. The father's duty to his children cannot be transferred to the mother. If she performs her duty, she has burden enough to bear. Only by working in unison can the father and mother accomplish the work which God has committed to their hands. God has also called men to be the providers of their families. First Timothy 5.8 says, but if any man provide not for his own and especially for those of his own house, he has denied the faith and he is worse than an infidel. So you could be a Christian and if you don't provide for your own family, it's almost as if you were not one. As a child, I used to think we were very poor because whenever we went to the grocery store and we would pass that beautiful aisle with donuts in the glass case and I would ask my mother for one she said oh no we can't afford them and so I thought wow we must be really poor we can't even afford a donut but even though probably she did it for my health we couldn't necessarily afford extra because my mother chose to stay home with us we lived on one income um, back then but Even though I I thought, well, we're poor, we can't afford donuts, yet I never was concerned about the real necessities of life because I knew my dad provided those for us with God's blessing. It was a very secure feeling as a child to know that I didn't have to worry about where I would sleep, what I would eat, what I would wear. I never had to worry about those things. And men, this is a need that God is calling you to fulfill for your families. It's your job to be a provider for them. God has not only called men to be leaders in their families, however, but He has called you to be leaders in your church. There are certain spiritual roles in the Bible which are specific to men. Now, I'm just a layperson who's finally taken the time to study these issues out. Um, and But yet I do have what my family describes as a very strong personality. And I believe in the fair and equal treatment of women. But in my study, I have not seen any strong scriptural evidence to support women holding the following positions. The first is deacon. 1 Timothy 3.12 says, Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. It does not read, let the deacons be the wives of one wife. That would be confusion, my brothers and sisters. It's, this is the role of a man. It's, it's plain to me, who am not a Bible scholar, that this is what it's saying. Now, I know Phoebe has been brought up as an example of a female deacon. but And so when I heard that, I thought, well, I've got to study that out because maybe she was. But then I found this quote in the North Pacific Union Gleaner, December 4, 1907. The Lord has a work for women as well as for men. Do you see the difference? Work for women as well as for men. And then down a little bit further, it says Paul in his letters to the churches makes mention of women who were laborers with him in the gospel. And later I want to talk about that. Writing to the Romans, he says, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Sincrea. Now, if she were really a deacon, Why didn't Mrs. White call her one there? She could have. It seems to me that that's what should have been done if that were the situation. And then further on down in that same quote, it is not only upon those who preach the word that God has placed the responsibility of seeking to save sinners. He has given this work to all. So when she mentions Phoebe in that section, she's talking about the work Phoebe was taking part in a work that was given to all. That seemed very clear to me. And then she goes on to say, all who are ordained unto the life of Christ are ordained to work for the salvation of their fellow men. That was the work that Phoebe was called to do. To me, that just says Phoebe was a laborer in the gospel, a servant, as all who are ordained unto life should be. And I, I do believe she actually held a special role, but I will talk about that a little bit a little bit later. The priesthood was also specific to men, never once in the whole old or New Testament. Do you ever hear a referral to a female priest, at least not one that was not an apostate, um, you know Israelite I, apparently. In Judah there was a time when they apostatized, and and there were women serving in that role. And you also see it in pagan religions, priestesses, but you don't see it in in the priesthood that God ordained. You don't see that once. Now men and women and children were called a kingdom of priests in Exodus 19.6, but they still had a male priesthood at the same time. So there was a difference there between those two. Then, there is the role of elders or bishops, a role we often equate with our ordained ministers and elders. And this is also very clearly specific for men. 1 Timothy 3.2 says, A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife. It doesn't say the wife of one wife. Vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. Again, this is a male role. Anyone can see this. I'm just, like I said, a layperson. It's just very clear right here that this was a male role. Listen to these quotes from the pen of Sister White. This is found in the Fifth Testimonies, page 60. And this really stuck out to me. Quote, the primary object of our college was to afford young men an opportunity to study for the ministry. And to prepare young persons of both sexes to become workers in the various branches of the cause. Do you see the differentiation right there? It was young men, an opportunity to study for the ministry, and young persons of both sexes to become workers in the various branches of the cause. Another quote, also from the fifth volume of the Testimonies, page 598, and I quote, Those who enter the missionary field should be men and women who walk and talk with God. Those are missionaries, men and women. Those who stand as ministers in the sacred desk should be men of blameless reputation. End of quote. In close with this section, I'm sorry, page 598, the fifth volume of the testimonies. In closing, men, God has specific roles for you. He has called you to be husbands if you are married, fathers if you have children, but he has called all of you men, well, he hasn't called all of you, but those that he calls are men to these specific roles that are just for men, that of deacon, elder, and bishop. Those are roles just for you, and that is a high calling, and we need men to fill those roles. If we don't have men, who is going to fill them? Ladies, this is the part that is exciting to me because there is a special role for us to fill. But before we get to that one, um, we're going to talk about some others as well. These roles are specific, just like the roles he gave to the different parts of our brain. And they are of equal importance to that which men are called to. They are just different. That's it. They're just different. If you are married, one of the roles God has called you to is that of a wife. We were designed to be our spouse's companion. The Adventist home page 25 states God himself gave Adam a companion. He provided a helpmeet for him. Did you know Mrs. White compares that word helpmeet to companion. We were to be actually companions for each other. A helper corresponding to him. One who was fitted to be his companion. And who could be one with him in love and sympathy? Isn't that beautiful? We were created to be our husband's equal, but also with distinctive roles. And notice this, how Mrs. White puts that we are equal, and yet we are distinct as well. Women should fill, and this is a quote from the Adventist home, page 231, Women should fill the position which God originally designed for her as her husband's equal. The world needs mothers who are mothers not merely in name, but in every sense of the word. We may safely say that the distinctive duties of women are more sacred, more holy than those of men. Do you see that? We are equal, and yet we have distinctive duties. We were also created to complement our spouses, not to lose our individuality, not to let our powers lie dormant. Listen, ladies, God doesn't call you just to be a doormat. He wants you to have an education, to, to use all the talents and skills that God has given you to the best of your ability because He needs you and He has created and called you to a high role in this day. Listen to this quote. The wife and mother should not sacrifice her strength and allow her powers to lie dormant, leaning wholly upon her husband. Her individuality cannot be merged in his. She should feel that she is her husband's equal. There it is again. We are equal, but listen to this. To stand by his side, she faithful at her post of duty and he at his. See, we're equal. But yet we each have our job to do. And ladies, this is a tough one for me. And I imagine that it's a tough one for some of you. But we are required to submit our judgment to our husband. And my husband will tell you that is hard for me to do sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes he'll say, husbands, submit yourselves unto your wives when I'm getting up on my high horse. If... We are required to submit, but let me continue. If it is not contrary to the will of God, I just have to include here, and this is very, very important, abuse in any form or a husband who seeks to turn his wife against God, that is contrary to God's will, and we should not submit to that. That is why Colossians 3.18 says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands As it is fit in the Lord. If it is not fit in the Lord, we should not submit. But if it is, ladies, it is our duty to graciously acquiesce. In a letter to Mrs. J.N. Loughborough, June 6, 1861, Mrs. White wrote, quote, We women must remember that God has placed us subject to the husband. He is the head, and our judgment and views and reasonings must agree with his if Possible, If not, the preference in God's word is given to the husband where it is not a matter of conscience. We must yield to the head. Ladies, if God has called you as well to be a mother, He has called you to one of the most sacred, important positions a mortal could hold. Counsels for the church, page 143, says... The king upon his throne has no higher work than has that of a mother. The mother is the queen of her household. She has in her power the molding of her children's characters that they may be fitted for the higher immortal life. And listen to this. An angel could not ask for a higher mission. That is a high calling, and don't think because some of you choose to stay home with your children that your role is less important than if you were in the workforce. I used to be tempted to think, because I'm not out working, I chose to stay home with my children, and because I'm not out working, sometimes I was tempted to feel that my role was not as important, but then I would remember the sacrifice that my mother made for my brother, my sister, and I when we were little. Um, she has a college degree and she could have chosen to go out and get a job and, and help um, support our family, but she chose to stay home and take care of us children. And I can tell you with great assurance that that is one of the reasons that my brother, my sister, and myself are still Christians today and love Amen. the Lord. That is a high calling, Mother. You, you will have stars in your crown if you do your work faithfully again from councils for the church page 143 if married men go into the work leaving their wives to care for the children at home the wife and mother is doing fully as great and important a work as the husband and father end of quote now ladies this is exciting god has also called us to fulfill other spiritual roles in the church. Now, um, I know in the last session that briefly we went over the medical profession, but I just want to again add that God has a specific role for men and a specific role for women in the medical profession. He needs male nurses and female nurses. He needs male physicians and female physicians. You know, It used to be back in the early 1900s that we thought of the physician role as being more of a male role and the nurse role as being more of a female role, but God needs both of us. And just like our brother said earlier, the reason for this was, and I'm reading from Councils on Health, page 364, Mrs. White says, the light given me of the Lord regarding this matter is that as far as possible, lady physicians should care for lady patients. And gentlemen physicians have the care of gentlemen patients. Listen, I used to think this was silly as a nurse, because as a nurse, we grow callous to a lot of things like that. It just didn't bother me. But I, it, it hit me when I was visiting a patient, um, and they said, oh, "I just feel so uncomfortable having, you know, to, to expose myself in such a way." And I thought, "Really?" You know, it didn't bother me as a nurse, but it bothered, it bothered them. And you know, it's because God created us to be private and, and, to, and to keep our modesty, men and women. And he needs men and women to fulfill these roles in medicine so that men can treat men and, and women can treat women if possible. I know sometimes there's situations where that's not possible. But I didn't think this idea was so silly when I needed to find an OBGYN because at that point, I wanted a woman as well. And you know, when I worked in um, maternity, when, in OB nursing when I first graduated, um, there were no male nurses on my floor. You know why? Women don't want men nurses helping them have babies. <laughs> And I know we have male physicians sometimes, but, even, but if a woman had a choice, she often would choose the female physician or the female midwife over the male as well. So ladies, you are needed to fill these um, important positions. God also calls women to fulfill a specific spiritual role in the church that cannot be filled by anyone else. Paul defines this as a laborer with me in the gospel. You find that in Philippians 4, 3. And I'm just going to shorten that to gospel labor. Mrs. White expands on this in the Review and Herald, July 21, 1896, when she says, quote, "'Women who have the cause of God at heart can do a good work in the districts in which they reside.'" Christ speaks of women who helped him in presenting the truth before others. And Paul also speaks of women who labored with him in the gospel. Listen to this, but how very limited is the work done by those who could do a large work if they would. See, there there is a call for women to do this kind of work, this laboring with the minister in the gospel. This gospel work designed for women is a role that Ellen White's minister, or Ellen White says a minister's wife should fill when possible. But Jesus and Paul, as far as we know, Paul didn't have a wife, and Jesus didn't have a wife. So they needed these women to fulfill that part in the ministry, which they were called to fill. Manuscript 5, page 3:27, says. Those women who labor to teach souls to seek for the new birth in Christ Jesus are doing a precious work. They consecrate themselves to God and they are just as verily laborers for God as are their husbands. They can enter families to which ministers could find no access. So you see, that work is a specific work for women but it is a laborer with the minister in the gospel. They can enter, we can enter, ladies, where ministers, men, can find no access. And this quote goes on, They can listen to the sorrows of the depressed and oppressed. They can shed rays of light into discouraged souls. They can pray with them. They can open the scriptures and enlighten them from a thus saith the Lord. Ellen White goes on to say that our cause will suffer great loss without this kind of work. And she says, "Quote, in many respects a woman, a woman can impart knowledge to her sisters that a man cannot. The cause would suffer great loss without this kind of labor." Do you see how important it is women that we fulfill this specific role? that God has called us to fulfill in the church, again and again, she goes on, the Lord has shown me that women teachers are just as greatly needed to do the work to which He has appointed them as our men. That is our appointed work. Manuscript 5, page 325. This work is a work for women by women. The cause would suffer great loss without it. Women are just as greatly needed to do the work which God has appointed them, as are the men. Just as greatly needed. And this role was considered important enough in Ellen White's day that it was to be a paid position. She says, Injustice has been done to women who labor just as devotedly as their husbands and who are recognized by God as being as necessary to the work of ministry as their husbands. It is a work just as necessary as that of men. A mistake is made when the burden of the work is left entirely upon the minister. See, there's a differentiation. It's not the minister's work, but it is a work that is just as greatly needed and just as necessary as a man's or as a minister's. She goes on, this plan was certainly arranged without the mind of God. Some women are now teaching young women to work successfully as visitors and Bible readers. The Lord has put his spirit upon them both. If the husband should die and leave his wife, she is still fitted to continue her work. The work that's different than that of the minister, but it's still the work that needs to be done. She is still fitted to continue that work and to receive wages for that work which she does. That's Manuscript 43A. This role was considered so necessary that if a wife and mother felt a call upon her life to do this work and she was able to leave that high work of being a mother in the hands of someone else, then she was called to do so And go ahead and do the work which God had called her to do. And I quote, Seventh-day Adventists are not in any way to belittle women's work. If a woman puts her housework in the hands of a faithful, prudent helper and leaves her children in good care while she engages in the work, the conference should have the wisdom to understand the justice of her receiving wages. Women helped our Savior, and this goes back It's combined now with the gospel labor that Paul was talking about. Women helped our Savior by uniting with Him in His work. If women do the work that is not the most agreeable to many of those who labor in word and doctrine, and if their works testify that they are accomplishing a work that has been manifestly neglected, that's because, sisters, we're not doing this work that God has called us to. Should not such labor be looked upon as being as rich in results as the work of the ordained minister? Mm. Manuscript 5, page 324. Notice again, it's different, but it's just as important as that of a man. My church family, we are facing some options. You all have heard about three different options. We have the first option, the second option, and the third option. And this reminds me of a situation that took place about 500 years ago. Okay? Do you remember a man named Martin Luther and how he was called to give a message that was not agreeable to many during his time? And when he was called, to go to, um, to stand up for his faith, he did, bravely. And then later, he was not allowed to go, and so in his place, 12 princes went. And if you read the book called The Great Controversy, you can read their story in a chapter called Protest of the Princes. And in that chapter, we are told that those 12 princes went and they, and they presented their case, and the opposition recognized that there was, their position was so strong and it was creating such a division that they said, well, instead of, enti- instead of taking the first option or the second option, one was to entirely stifle the Reformation, the other was to let the Reformation continue, they said, let's make a compromise. Do you know that they did that? They said, and I'll quote, this is um, from the Great Controversy, page 199, The priest demanded that the states which had accepted the Reformation submit implicitly to Romish jurisdiction. The reformers, on the other hand, claimed the liberty which had previously been granted. See, they had been granted liberty to preach the gospel in their states. They could not consent that Rome should again bring under her control those states that had with so great joy received the word of God. So this is what they proposed as a compromise It was finally proposed that where the Reformation had not become established, the Edict of Worms should be rigorously enforced, and that in those where the people had deviated from it and where they could not conform to it without danger of revolt, they should at least effect no new reform. They should touch upon no controverted point. They should not oppose the celebration of the Mass. They should permit no Roman Catholic to embrace Lutheranism." You know, this situation that we're up against is we have our first option, we have our second option, or we can choose the third one, which is the compromise. Mm -hmm. But is that really the right one? It sounds to me very much like this situation which took place back in Martin Luther's time. Would we lose ground by giving in and compromising? (coughs) Again, that was found in the Great Controversy 199, My church family, I want to urge you, instead of ordaining women to the role of elder and bishop, create the position in the church which God has called women to. Praise the Lord. And without which the cause will suffer great loss. Ministers need that co-laborer with them in the gospel, and if that can be their wife, That's who it should be. But if that is not possible, then some other mother in Israel needs to step up and take that position. Otherwise, the cause will suffer great loss. My dear sisters, the devil has tried to deceive us into thinking that we are missing out if we can't do everything a man can do. And now we are paying the consequences. Suzanne Pinker, in her book, The Sexual Paradox, um, Men, Women, and the Real Gender Gap states, quote, Many years ago, when women were so far behind and so excluded, to get what men had, we had to act like them. We had to dress like them. We had to have careers like them. We had to make the same choices. We had to work the same hours. And I think now, 40 years later, This can have huge cost for women and, paradoxically, can be more discriminatory. And, she goes on to say, Pinker says women are much more likely to suffer from depression, part of the cost of trying to be like men, or worse, trying to be everything. everything. We women have tried to be like Bracca's region in the brain, and fulfill our own role and that of men as well. And it is wearing us out. There's, um, I I don't have this quote here, but you can look up in the Forbes 2011 um, issue. um, And I will try to get the date. In fact, we'll put it up on the website later. But it says that women who are trying to fulfill the role of a man and a woman are, it says they're children are suffering loss because of it. Even women who come from very well-to-do families says they are so worried about the direction that their children are headed in. And the rates of depression are so much higher among women as a result of trying to do everything. It's wearing us out, my sisters. But even more serious than this is the damage that gender blurring has done to the Word of God secular website ehow.com I'm sure some of you have happened upon this when you're looking how do I do this or how do I do that you can go to ehow.com and they have answers for everything well when I was looking up um, biblical bible roles, I saw that ehow.com had something to say about it I thought well that'll be interesting it's just a secular website I wonder what they say about the biblical roles of men and women well do you know what they say they infer and I'll read the quote that Christians who don't follow the biblical headship model no longer believe the Bible to be the unerring Word of God. You can find this when you search Bible roles for men and women on hehow.com and this is what it says, quote, the idea of subservience held sway for much of Christian history. The Bible was understood to be literally the Word of God. It says it was understood to be literally the Word of God and therefore had to be obeyed without argument. Isn't that what we believe? That started to change, it says, with the Enlightenment and then the industrial and scientific revolutions. Biblical studies slowly developed as an academic discipline and close study of Scripture undermined claims to its inerrancy. The long-accepted Bible roles of a man and a woman with their ancient origins in the Adam and Eve stories in Genesis, increasingly came to be questioned. If the stories were metaphors or myths rather than historically true, women could seek for equality with men without defying or denying God. End of quote. Do you see what they're saying? They believe. We don't believe the Bible to be the unerring word of God. Is that how we want the Christian world to view us? Is that the kind of picture we want to leave with the world? God has a higher calling for men and women. In the mind of God, the ministry of men and women existed before the world began or was created. Manuscript release 18. So what was that ministry? She goes on to say, quote, Perfection has marked out every feature of true ministry. Christ, the Son of the living God, did not live unto himself, but unto God. That's true ministry. The ministry which we are all called to, to reflect the image of Christ through us. Not doing our will, but the will of God who created us. And just like the regions or the different regions in our brain that help us to read, God has created men and women with equal importance, but with different roles to fulfill. Men, you have been called to be Christ-like husbands. You have been called to be godly fathers and spiritual leaders in our church. Don't let culture dictate the role you are to follow, especially when God has so clearly laid it out. Women, you are called to fulfill a role that is so exalted that even an angel would be honored to have that assignment. Don't let our culture make you think that this role is a low or a demeaning one, not when God has shed so much power and light and honor upon it." Ladies, He has also called you to fill a role in the church that men cannot fill. If you leave that role to, to um, just be vacant and you leave that role to go and fulfill a man's role, then you're creating a great loss for the ministry. You will leave a void That will ultimately hurt the cause of god know you not that they which run in a race run all but one receives the prize so run that you may obtain let's go ahead and pray lord i pray that you would help us to step up to the roles that you have called us to help us to be men and women created in your image, fulfilling the work that you have called us to fulfill. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse dot org